Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. If this is your first time listening to an episode on this series, there is an intro episode at the start. You can go back and take a listen, which will explain exactly what the series is about. There are also 13 other awesome podcast episodes that if you haven't listened to, I would highly encourage you to. You can also subscribe on any platform that you are listening to this on so that you do get immediate notifications whenever any new ones come up. The person featuring on the podcast series today is Tori. Tori, welcome and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast series. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm glad. All right, let's do it. So let's start with kind of um, the overview of you and your family and what you do for work and your partner and your whole family dynamic and everything as it is now. Sure. So um, my name is Tori. Uh, I am a mum to a four-year-old, very determined little girl, Florence, and a stepmom to an equally as determined 12-year-old boy, Lincoln. Um, originally from Tassie, we've just moved to New South Wales. Um, I'm 33 and I am a former traditional business owner and nine-to-five zombie. Um, I now have um, a social marketing business, an Arbonne business, um, and that's what I do full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband Reese is the operations manager for a steel company in New South Wales, and um, yeah, that's in a nutshell. I think. Yep. Those, what those about, sorts of um, details. Let's obviously you're doing something you know pretty cool and unique now from a career point of view. But can you talk to us how you sort of got to that point that you're at? So maybe from when you finished your schooling, um, what life was like from a career path, general life kind of view, where you lived and travelled and everything at a high level point of view to what got you to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So um, I did most of my schooling um, at Collegiate in Tassie, and then I left there and completed 11 and 12 at Guildford Young, which was great. Um, I left, didn't like school. Um, The kind of the motto for me on pretty much every school report was um, if Tori focused on herself as much as everybody else, she would be doing a lot better. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I was definitely a people person. And I think from, from really early on, I... I always just had this like inner thing where I wanted to help people and I felt like I had something to say. Um, And so, yeah, school and I didn't probably really mix all of that all that well, but um, I was raised by a single mum who worked like an absolute Trojan her whole life to, you know, give me the best of everything. And um, I think, you know, getting a job and and earning money was not like a direct, um, uh, what's the word? Like a, it wasn't something that mum like forced on me or anything, but I think just the way that I grew up, you know, we didn't have lots of money and what we did mum worked really hard for. So I learned, you know, not to sort of ask for things or, you know, and be happy with what I had. So I think as a result of that, I'd learned early on that it was really important for me to just earn money rather than, I suppose, think about what I really wanted to do in life. So I left year 12 and went straight um, to a full-time job um, working for Qantas, Mm -hmm. which was an incredible role to get like straight out of school. And, you know, it was like a dream come true, I guess, for 
um, an 18 year old. Yeah. To go from like, you know, hardly any income having to go to yeah. school from, you know, nine to three every day to being, you know, I know you would have been working full time, but that would have been like a decent yeah. income you were earning. Yeah. It was so much money. I mean, it, mm. it's a lot of money now, but it was so much money back then. And, and I literally parted it away. Mm. Um, I've got absolutely nothing to show for that time <laughs> that I worked there in terms of, you know, possessions or, investments or anything but nevertheless um so I was with Qantas for several years and I moved to Melbourne um with them which was amazing um and I worked for for them um on consignment to the defense force so I learned a lot um it really set me up for the basis for you know great customer service and attention to detail so um I loved my time there but um I got really homesick and um, back then, you know, even though it was sort of great money, um, I was living in a city that, that then was really expensive in comparison to what I was earning. And so, you know, rent was more than I earned. Um, and, you know, I was probably not a snob, but I, I just didn't want to live, I suppose, away from everybody and in poverty. So, you know, I lived in a nice area and I lived in a nice house, but I paid the price for that, you know. Tuna and lettuce were big on the meal cards for me at that time in my life. Um, and I, yeah, I got really homesick. So I decided to move back to Tassie um, and I spent a little bit of time back there sort of, I guess, just doing stuff that I liked. Like I, I went back to teaching dance for a bit and, um, you know, just did some, some sort of temp work and bits and pieces and a, and a temp job took me to um, Launceston mm-hmm. Um um and so I think I must have been home maybe like probably not 12 months and I moved moved up to the north of the state into Lonnie um I met a boy um who I thought was the love of my life as you do mm-hmm. um and that kind of that was a I guess a really defining moment in my post-child life or pre-child life um I I kind of I think I went into that relationship in you know I was in my tw- early 20s and I I didn't really know who I was and I, and I think that sort of stemmed from you know that concept of you, you need to get a job and you need to work and um my dad wasn't really around when I was younger and we didn't have a great relationship so the affection and love of an of a man was really important to me and I I didn't chase it in a you know in a negative way but um the person who I met in Launceston definitely turned out to be not the person who I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and after four years, it was a really tumultuous relationship of cheating and lying and physical abuse and emotional abuse. Um, and that really took its toll because I, I think before I met him, you know, you have that picture in your head where I didn't have very good self-love, I think. And I, and I thought that if I was loved by, you know, a really good looking guy that would make you know me feel better about myself because it must mean that you know like I'm skinny and I'm pretty and I've got everything going for me and I'm lovable and that just those things would just fulfill my life and make me happy Mm. and all of a sudden things would just come into alignment I suppose and that's just so if you feel like if anyone's listening it feels like that's where they're at right now I can just tell you from experience it's so far from the truth because it doesn't work like that um, and I just, I just devoted my whole life, you know, to him and what he was doing and, you know, all of the things that he loved, you know, I inserted myself in and, 
you know, I was at the cricket club every weekend and working in the kitchen and I was on the cricket club board and doing all of these things to make myself completely like indisposable to him and like he couldn't live without me. Um, and then every weekend he'd be off, you know, sleeping with someone else or n- not coming home and, um, you know, then he'd come home really drunk and he'd be really abusive and, and it was just a really shitty time in my life. So I eventually broke free of that, thank goodness. How old were you during this period? You said it was for four years. Um, yeah, so I think when I moved, I must have been like just 21 when I moved to Launceston and we were together like I think basically straight away. So, um, yeah, so like 21 to like 25, I think. Hmm. How did um, you break out of that? I think, you know, I it just got to a point where... Um, I was so tired. I was just so tired of it. And um, his uncle actually, so we bought a house together and we started a business together. Also a really bad idea if you're in that kind of relationship, people. Mm. Um, But so we bought this big house and we were renovating and his uncle um, actually came to live with us for a little while because he had a, a marriage breakdown. And this one night he came home my then partner came home um, drunk as per every weekend and I was asleep. And I think, you know, if you've ever been in like an abusive relationship like that, it doesn't actually matter what you do. Like he always used to say to me, if you didn't get in my face and make it worse and argue back with me, then I wouldn't do this stuff. Hmm. And it doesn't actually matter. That gets in your head, but it doesn't actually matter what you do because you could be asleep You could be in another room. You could be talking to someone else. You could be the most polite, considerate person. You could be, you know, tending to like, you know, a broken nose or a a black eye that, you know, they've got out on the town with their mates, you know, carrying on. It doesn't actually matter what you do, what version of yourself you show up with. They will find a reason to be cruel to you. Mm -hmm. And I was literally asleep. And he came home this this one night and I have no recollection of what his issue was this particular evening. Um, but had a glass of water beside the bed and all these, I think in times like that, possessions become really important to you. And I had these books, I love Audrey Hepburn, and I had these books beside on my bedside table that um, my best friend had given me, my mum had given me, and, and my boss, who I you know still have the utmost admiration for to this day, gave me, and they were piled up on my bedside table. And there's a glass of water there. And he just walked in and chucked this glass of water on a picture of my mom and on these books. And I was just devastated. And I think when you're in that kind of relationship, the smallest things can just totally set you off. And mm. so, so upset. And I was crying, like hysterically crying on the floor. Like, why would you do this to me? And then he grabbed the shoe rack off the door and threw it down the hallway. And his uncle was there and the door, the bedroom door was shut. And at this point, like, you know, this is probably, this is four years into just, you know, abuse and lies and dishonesty and, and breaking a person down to the, you know, the very, very bareness of what a human can exist like, I guess. And, and then I went, I went to go down the hallway to pick up the shoes and he just pushed me down the stairs mm. and we had these huge stairs in the house and I just, like, as you do, you know, screamed and, um, I got, I went down the stairs and I went out the garage door when I got up from, from the stairs and I got in my car and I left. And this whole time his uncle didn't come out. 
Mm. And then when I came home, like an hour later, I walked up the stairs and he'd like fallen asleep, passed out, whatever. And um, I remember coming up the stairs and the door to his uncle's bedroom opened and he stood at one end of the hallway and I was at the other end of the hallway and he just looked at me and he's like, God, I'm so sorry. And I just remember in that moment thinking, no one is going to stop this. Because I remember thinking when he moved in, I was like, oh my God, thank God. Like someone is going to see this firsthand and believe me because I felt like all of his friends didn't know that version of him. And and when they sometimes would get glimpses of it, they would stand up for him because, you know, I was whinging or nagging or trying to get him to go home or, um, you know, being a pain in the ass or whatever. And really, I was just desperately trying to save myself, I think, from him getting too drunk or, or whatever. And, and I just remember thinking, like, how could you sit in that bedroom and listen to someone be physically and verbally abused and do nothing? Mm. Like, do literally just sit there and listen to it with your door shut. Not come out and be like, hold up, mate. Like, you need to just settle down. Or how about you and I go outside? Literally just do nothing. Mm. And I was like, right, I really... No one's going to help me here. No one's going to save me. I need to, I need to get out. And I'd left my job because I couldn't keep having time off. You know, he'd ring and say, I've chucked all his stuff outside, you know, or he'd, you know, it was just a really shitty time. And there was always reasons why I'd need to leave work or I wasn't going to work. And so I quit my job, thought that that would make me happy. Totally didn't. And I used coming home to study, to be a makeup artist as a reason to come home. Mm. And kind of in behind the scenes, as I started to come home, um, I caught up with an old friend who was a male um, and he just, he was really kind to me and he made me realise that there, although there wasn't anything between he and I, it made me realise that someone else would pay me attention. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, you know what, you know, he's not actually the only person who is ever going to love me. And I just used coming home as an excuse and he still thought that we were, Um, together and um, so I came home I got um, a place of my own much to his disgust because he thought I was going to move back in with my mum and then it sort of it just was a really um, I suppose difficult time for both of us in that transition that I was obviously being a bit dishonest about why I was coming home and he kind of could see that he was losing control and I think he was exhausted as well from being that version of himself mm. and um, came home. He came down a couple of weeks later for my birthday. Oh, no, it was a week after my birthday. And then, like, um, then he went back to Launceston. I still had all my clothes, like all my possessions there other than just, like, you know, bag of, of stuff sort of thing. And um, I found out like a few days later that he'd left my house in Hobart and driven back to Launceston and picked up another girl that he was seeing, took her to his parents' house to pick up our dog. And that two weeks later, she'd moved into our house and my clothes were still hanging in the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, I'm done. Like, this is it. I'm out. Yeah. And that was it. Um, I think just coming home and, and, and removing myself in any way that I could from that situation allowed me to feel a little bit stronger. And I knew that once I was here, there wasn't really anything that he could do. And it was still a horrible time. And, you know, then I went through this phase of like, oh my God, like you're seeing someone else. Like, I want you back, like take me back. Um, you know, I think just, I felt like, I felt like I had taken back control and then he'd taken it away from me because there was someone else again. Mm, mm. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it was the best thing I did and it was, it was really hard. Like it was incredibly difficult to leave. Um, and I think it, what was harder was I didn't know who I was going into that relationship. So I didn't have anyone to find when I came out. Um, you know, people sort of talk about you need to find yourself again. Well, I didn't have anyone to find. I didn't know who I was. Mm. And um, I remember during the relationship, like friends of ours would say to me, like, oh, you used to be so much fun. Like, you're not the same anymore. You used to be, you know, it's like so great to be around. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know who you're talking about. Like, I truly do not know who you're talking about because I feel like from the very beginning of our relationship, I was really fun for probably, um, I don't know, maybe like, I don't even know. So we met, we met and really quickly it, it happened at the same time that I was moving to Launceston. So we met in Hobart, but I was moving to Launceston. So then that kind of was convenient. I didn't have anywhere to live. He offered for me to live with him and his parents. So we literally had been together maybe like two weeks and I moved in with him and his parents. Mm -hmm. Then maybe like six weeks we'd been together and we went on a holiday to Bali together. And then we came home. It was a Stedford time. So I was, I'd gone back to Hobart cause I was still dancing. So I'd driven back to Hobart for a Stedford's um, and he met someone there. So he came to watch me and he met someone there and then pursued a relationship with them. So literally like we'd been together two months and he was already cheating on me and I found out and stupidly I still stayed. Um, so from like, from the very beginning, I, I felt like I was me for maybe two or three weeks. And then I was this version of me who was different. So I didn't know who they were talking about and I, I didn't have that person to find. So I really felt like that time was it was such a hard time because I was trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted and where I fit into the world and, you know, all of those things of like, what do you act like? You're such an opinionated person, but what do you actually stand for? Like, you know, stop sort of just agreeing with everybody's, you know, you, someone says something and you agree with that, but then someone has a different opinion and you agree with that. But what do you actually think about it sort of thing? You know, what yeah, like that movie, was- like, lost yourself yeah. and your values and I yeah. mean that, that time you know that that time in your um life from an you know from anyone's point of view during that age is I think it is a challenging time because mm. you come out of that phase of schooling and you enter the workforce or you know I know some people are still at uni but eventually get into the workforce and and it is a big change because yeah there's just so much independence that gets thrown onto you and you know new relationships and it is a struggle to find who you are so I think you know you've had a double-edged sword there of all of that plus being in an unhealthy relationship so no wonder you lost your way for a bit did you ever get professional help for you know, for the abuse that you experienced during that time? No, I never did. And I, I think, I think the reason for that was because I, as I've mentioned, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad and I'd, I'd gone to, you know, like school counselors and, and, you know, independent counselors, um, you know, quite, quite often in my, in my childhood for, for that. And my experience of professional help, um, and I'm, and I'm not discounting it. Like I think that it really is so important, but I think it's important to find the right person. And I never found the right person because my experience of it was that 
they want to start from the day you were born and they want to dredge up every ounce of everything that's ever happened in your life. And I think that that, you know, that's definitely a, a good thing and it, and it has to happen at some point. But for me, it was so counterproductive because I'd sit mm. there, you know, for days and weeks and months and I still, I still didn't feel any better off. Like I still just felt like I was, I wasn't in the present now dealing with what I needed to deal with right now. I was five years ago or 10 mm. years ago and I didn't want to, I knew that I knew that I had had gone down that path because, as I said, I thought that I needed the love of a male, um, maybe because I didn't feel like I had it from my dad. Mm. I felt like that's what I needed to fix my life. So I knew that they were going to start there. And I was like, I don't have the strength to start from back there and be 12 months down the track and still not actually dealing with what's happened right now. Yep. So I chose not to, to deal with it in that way. Um, I guess I chose to try and just figure it. And I think like I'm a, I'm a pretty self-aware kind of person and I, I knew that, um, I, knew, I guess I knew why. Like I felt like I knew why I'd gone down that path and I knew why I'd let that kind of stuff happen. And Sure, yep. Um, and so I didn't feel like I needed anyone to anyone else to tell me like why I was there or why that had happened. I just needed mechanisms to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I just decided to figure that out on my own and it probably would have been a quicker, maybe a quicker process if I had have had someone help me. But... I just didn't. And I think as well, like I felt like I, I shielded my mum from a lot of what I went through. I mean, she knew that he was a a cheater and a liar, but I never really expressed to her that he had, you know, hit me or thrown me across the concrete or down the stairs or put my head through the wall or any of those like really Mm. kind of horrible things. And I wanted to really protect her from that. So I think I felt like I couldn't I probably couldn't talk about it because I I just didn't want her to feel like I didn't want to upset her and I knew it would upset her. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I just I didn't and then I I went um I don't know if it was a path to self-destruction or self-discovery. I'm not really sure, but I hit the gym a lot um and I I got a job um, in a bank in Tassie and I also was studying at the same time to become a makeup artist and that really helped and I found some nice people around me and um, a really, really dear friend of mine, Jacob, he really helped me a lot um, in just being really kind to me and, and reminding me that I was worthy of, of kindness Mm. even in the face of like we used to kind of we, we joke now we used to say like it was the new united states of tory you know he would get 12 versions of me in one day and <laughs> i would be so horrible to him you know like really just nasty as a reflection of myself and i think of pushing the boundaries of how you know if i can be the most horrible to you that i can and you're still going to be kind to me maybe i am worthy of this mm. um and 
he still stuck by me and, and he's still such a dear friend to me to this day. And I'm so grateful to him because he really did show me that, you know, I, I someone can be kind to you and, and someone can love you even in your darkest moments. Mm. Um, so um, that was amazing. I just, I think what I will say here is that, um, I don't know if you know of any Tori that you recommend or I will find some links to any, um, domestic violence support networks. Yeah, definitely. As well. Yeah. And put the links on here. So, um, I'll put the, that alert on this episode and thank you so much for sharing all of that. I just think it's really important because it obviously could be a trigger for someone listening that yes, you know, potentially has experienced or has experienced something like that. So um, yeah, I'll absolutely put that um, on your episode. Perfect. Yeah. And look, I think, as I said, you know, my, I probably didn't do it the right way and I'm, and I don't want to be an advocate for, you know, going through it on your own and, and dealing with it on your own. And I am such a supporter of, um, you know, counselling services or, you know, any kind of any kind of services that are going to help you deal with what you need to deal with. And, and in hindsight, I, I probably wish that I had have done it. Mm. Um, I just didn't at the time. But by no stretch of the imagination do I want anyone to sit here and think, sweet, I'm just going to do it on my own. Mm. Like you, you do really need, you do really need to tackle it on your own. Because the thing is, is that it did come back up later in life and I did have to deal with it. Um, and, and I think, you know, maybe if I had done that in the beginning and, and just taken the time to, you know, to go back and open those old wounds, you know, with dad and whatever, I would have been better off in the long run. Okay. So I really just wanted to, for that, you know, for people to understand that I'm not an advocate for not going and seeking help. Mm -hmm. Like I absolutely am. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and most definitely, you know, to, to do that in whatever capacity you can. Absolutely. So what happened next? You were sort of mid-20s working at the bank doing your makeup course. What happened? Yeah, um, so I did that um, and sort of did a lot of um, soul searching, I suppose, and, and trying to figure out, yeah, like what I, what I wanted and who I was and um, finished my studying, started a business. Um, that was amazing. Like I, you know, kind of started a, a makeup business and that sort of rose to success really quickly and I and I loved doing that and then on the back of that I um I bought a traditional business a hair and beauty salon with my mum so that kept me super busy and I was like kicking heaps of goals in the career world um I was really fortunate and worked really hard to become an internationally published makeup artist and um and I you know I was grateful to do lots of lots of you know, really cool work and, and I ticked off lots of goals there. I, I've always been a really big dreamer and I wanted, you know, my work to be across the world and on billboards and, and I wanted a, a piece of my work to be, to be art. Like that was my, when I started my business, they were sort of my goals and I achieved all of those things. And, um, and then in that time I met my now husband mm. um, and he he actually um he's not a very emotional person which is kind of was a difficult thing for me because i am like a really open emotional like if you're not going to have a deeper meaningful conversation what what's the point in even talking is kind of my philosophy <laughs> yeah. um and he's like so not like that so it was really different um it was a really different relationship but i think i needed a different relationship yeah 
Um, and he was, um, he was a fisherman when we met. So it was actually the perfect, the perfect kind of scenario because it allowed him being away all the time allowed me to still live my own life and I couldn't get caught up in his life. So, you know, where before I would kind of like be with someone and just be, you know, if they loved golf, I loved golf. If they, mm. you know, were, you know, um, I don't know, protesting for a chess club, then that's what I'd be doing. You know, <laughs> it was just whatever they were doing, I was doing because I felt like if I did that, then they would be like, oh my God, like she's a keeper. I can't let her go because I can't live without mm. her. Um, so he really allowed me to just get on with what I needed to be doing. Well, I didn't have a choice. It wasn't an allowance. I just didn't have a choice because he was away. Um, so I just got on with what I was doing and, um, and yeah, and continued to build, build my business. And um, yeah, so we were together for a little while. I can't really remember how long. And then we bought a house in the Huon Valley and, and, you know, just kind of the, the relationship just progressed, I guess, down that natural natural path of how it does, I suppose. Um, yeah, bought a house. He was still fishing. I was still had the business, still doing makeup. Um, but I think I was starting, I was starting to get tired of it. Like I was still working at the bank. I still had the, the salon, um, still doing makeup all the time. And I was starting to get tired and not love what I was doing anymore. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, bought the house, got a dog, found out I was pregnant. Um, don't get a puppy when you find out you're pregnant. That's really hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah. And then I I think it's sort of just, it just kind of, um, just kind of flowed, flowed from, from there, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I have a lot, you know, he, he's flawed as am I, um, but I have so much to be grateful for Therese, for things that he taught me. And, um, you know, there were definitely testing times in our relationship and, um, but he stuck by me and I stuck by him and we've come out the other side of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful to him. And, but that's kind of where, where it was at before, before Florence arrived. So how, so when you met Reese, he, um, he obviously had a child. Yes, he did. Yep. Yep. So Lincoln is 12. So he had Lincoln. Sorry, Lincoln. Sorry. Yeah, um, you're right. Um, so how did you, how did you find that meeting someone that, that had a child? I've never, I haven't interviewed anyone yet that had sort of stepchildren. Um, well, it was really funny actually, because he'll tell you a different version of this story, but my version is 100% correct. <laughs> um, so I, I knew that Reese had a son before he told me because I'd, as you do, Facebook stalked them yep. and there was, you know, pictures of this little boy. And I was like, mm, I've got a feeling that this is your child. And I think it was maybe like our third date, maybe or fourth date. And, um, he still hadn't mentioned it. And I was like, right. And so I just brought up, I was like, so who's the little boy in, in the pictures? And he's like, oh, that's my son. I told you I had a son. I was like, mm, no, you didn't. <laughs> um so but it wasn't a problem for me like I and I think I didn't um I don't know I didn't I didn't want to be 
a stepmother, but I also didn't not want to be. So I think if you make the choice to be with someone with children, then there's part of you that is accepting of that. And it didn't bother me at all. Like I was totally unfazed by it. Um, But it was, it was actually, it was really tough. Like Reese hadn't, um, so Lincoln lives in on the Sunshine Coast and um, has done since he was like a baby. So Reese hadn't had a lot to do with Lincoln up until that point where we met. So um, it, it wasn't like I was thrown into like being a mother, you know, every weekend or every second yeah, okay. weekend or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, so Lincoln was six when I met him and I, we actually met, we went out to Bali um, on a holiday for a friend's wedding and Reese asked Lincoln's mum if he could come with us and, and she agreed. So he came on a holiday with us and, you know, arriving at the airport, meeting this child and, you know, the ex for the first time was incredibly nerve wracking. And I, I had one of those massive, like jumbo sized gift bags full of everything Batman that you could possibly <laughs> imagine. Like for months before we'd gone, I'd been like, going crazy on eBay, buying all of these things to try and win him over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, but it was nice. Like we, we forged a bond there, I think. Um, but I think the true test came when like, so after that Reese, it was like a couple of years maybe where Reese hadn't seen Lincoln before that, um, or maybe like a year, I can't remember the exact dates, but anyway, so that happened. And then sort of from that point, we started to see Link more often. So the next lot of school holidays, I think he came to stay with us. And, and from the beginning, I just, I went too hard, too quick. I was like, right, you know, this child needs to know that there's, um, you know, that he's loved here and he's safe, but this is our home and there's rules. And, um, and I re- I wanted to kind of start out and be a a parent I didn't I don't know is that the right did I want to be a parent or I don't know I don't know if I wanted to be his parent or his friend I don't know what I was trying to achieve but I think just you know trying to achieve some kind of routine of like this is not um you know this is still your home and and it's still there still has to be routine and boundaries and things like that and it was not the right way to go about it Mm. (laughs) it was really a terrible, terrible, um, experience. And, and I was most definitely dubbed the wicked stepmother. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think that, look, I wasn't horrible, but you know, I think it was just things like, because, you know, Reese and his family, I suppose, hadn't seen Lincoln. And even when there is some consistency, when you live in different States, it's still only ever school holidays. So, no one wants to argue, you know, everyone wants it just to be a really pleasant time. So yeah. from what I saw from the outside was that there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, challenging him as a six-year-old in terms of, you know, no mate, like he can't have Coke for breakfast or like that's, high, you know, an extreme version. But do you know what I mean? Like there just wasn't, it was just sort of like, yeah, do whatever, you know, sleep whenever, watch whatever. Um, if you don't want to get off your iPad, that's fine because we don't want to argue and we don't want there to be conflict. Mm, mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, um, actually that's not how this works. Yeah. (laughs) So I really tried to enforce that. Okay, mate, like it's time to get off the iPad. You need to clean your room. You need to brush your teeth, go and have a shower. And I suppose for a six year old, like, you know, with this, this woman that he really knows nothing about, he's like, well, who the hell do you think you are? Like, this is not what coming back to Tassie's about. Mm. 
So there was, I was presented with a huge amount of resistance from him and not a great deal of support from Reese early on because he just didn't want to argue. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, a couple, a couple more times had passed where he'd come to visit and, and what I was doing just still was not working. Um, and, um, in the end, I just had to let go a little bit and just sort of had to really talk to Reese about being supportive and that, you know, being a good parent means that you, you do still need to have boundaries and, and mm. he does still have to have rules here and, you know, bedtimes and, you know, proper eating habits and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And, and that's really important, like coming here and just letting, letting him kind of run free, which is not what he does at home, you know, with his mum, like, you know, um, Link's mum is an amazing mum and that, that's certainly not her way of life. It's just what I think Link got used to coming home. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, and so it, it was a, it was sort of a, a real communication between, um, you know, Reese and I of, of figuring out what supporting me looked like. And a lot of the time Reese was, Link would come home for holidays and we couldn't afford for Reese to not be at work. So if he was out fishing, he would still have to go fishing or, um, you know, later on when, when he wasn't fishing anymore, he was working in a traditional job. Um, you know, he still had to go to work. So a lot of the time, it like I was looking after Link all the time because I, you know, had the flexibility flexibility to do so. So yeah. it was. It's it's much harder, I think, to be a step parent than a parent. And I and I don't say that lightly because being a parent is one of the toughest gigs in the world. But definitely being a step parent is, in my experience, really tough and comes with its own set of issues that you don't face as a parent I think it would because Um, you kind of got to try and get that balance between getting that bond and love and respect there while still yeah obviously having boundaries but I'm sure you can that's the easy line isn't it if you are the step parent that starts to be more is the one that's putting your foot down or yeah trying to set boundaries and that kind of thing it's easy to go yeah we could wicked witch stepmother kind of thing you know like it's a hard yeah. line to try and or hard balance to try and get right how yeah. um so that is how's the relationship now because I know you guys went on a family holiday recently we did yeah look it's um you know it's not without its challenges ever I think and and um it's definitely a lot better and I, as Link's got older and I've kind of probably calmed down a bit as as a parent mm-hmm. um you know we we communicate a little bit better um and but yeah look I I don't think it will ever be without its challenges and and I think that's partly due to the fact that you know we we don't have Lincoln all of the time you know we we share holidays and so you know sometimes it, it it's months and months and months before you know we see him depending on how the the kind of roster goes or whether he wants to actually come home or whether it's you know, sometimes like Easter holidays fall in a weird space. So if he comes home, if he comes here for a week, then he misses out on, you know, Easter with his other siblings, um, yeah. you know, in at his home in on the Sunshine Coast. So it's a balancing act. Um, but I think that also, you know, has its difficulties because there's so much time between us spending time together as a family that, you know, he grows and evolves as a person and we grow and evolve as a family. And, and then we come back together and we try and, bit back together and mm. and you know and make that work and um so yeah I think that there is always you know going to be challenges as you know whether you're a parent or a step parent I think that's that's the case but 
we do better at working it out now and and yeah we do better at, at communicating and kind of figuring out what what each person needs I suppose and mm. um he's a great big brother so how was that experience with pregnancy like getting pregnant pregnancy and birth and all that with Florence yeah wow um yeah gosh <laughs> um well I it was a kind of a shock actually because I was um I'd had two ectopic, ectopic pregnancies before Florence when I was in my relationship in Launceston okay um which left me with um only one fallopian tube and the one that I had um the one that I have is very damaged so they told me that I would would not be able to conceive naturally wow okay yeah so when I I mean I still was on that wasn't you know that wasn't definitive that was you your chance like 99% you know you're not going to be able to fall pregnant naturally um but I was still taking the pill um I think mostly because I'd been on it for such a long time because I'd had really bad skin as a teenager so it was just like habitual although I wasn't great at taking it um but anyway so I was still on contraception anyway and um yeah I I'd been I'd had really really sore boobs for a couple of weeks and this is like I'm going to say this because I, you know, I want to be transparent and it's not to um, make light of anyone, you know, that has been in or know someone in this situation, but I actually thought that I had breast cancer, like truthfully, I, they were so sore and I was so scared because like, oh my gosh. And, and my mum had had some scares before and I was like, shit, like, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. It's not funny now, but I can laugh about it now. Um, and then I don't know what made me take a pregnancy test, but I took one and it was positive. And then I took probably 10 more and they were all positive as well. I was like, right, shit, okay. Um, and so it was, a, it was a huge shock to me, a huge surprise. Mm. And um, I think the minute, like literally the minute that I found out I was pregnant, I felt sick. And from that day till when I delivered Florence at 36 weeks, I threw up every day. Um, I lost more weight than I gained in my pregnancy. Um, and it just, yeah, pregnancy probably wasn't a, a really fun time for me. And I, and I, as, again, I don't say that lightly. And I, um, I'm so aware of the privilege in which I do say this because I know um, you know, how difficult it is for some people to fall pregnant. So I'm, I'm not without gratitude that my, you know, my journey to fall pregnant happened, you know, quite by mistake and, and I suppose yeah. quite easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pregnancy was, um, was a tough time for me. Um, I, yeah, I was just really sick. I was really, really, really sick. And Reese was still fishing, so he was away all the time. Mm. Um, it was in the middle of winter in Tassie, which, you know, as you know, is just the pits sometimes. Mm. And living in the Huon Valley on a property, it was just like a mud pit all the time. It was freezing cold. Um, I was not at the bank. So just before I'd fallen pregnant, I'd, I'd left the bank because I, I just couldn't cope with that anymore. Um, so yeah, I'd left the bank. I still had the salon, still was, um, doing makeup. So 
also working as a massage therapist for a footy club at the time as well. So I was still like, you know, working full time basically and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, you know, there'd be nights that I'd get home from work and it would, I'd be so sick that I couldn't, I literally couldn't even get the wood inside to light the fire. So I would lay in bed, you know, wrapped in five blankets, freezing. Like <laughs> I can't even explain how cold it is to live in the human Valley in the middle of winter in a house that is not insulated. Mm. Um, you know, it was just freezing. So, I mean, I, that, I probably made the situation worse for myself and I should have just got up and got the wood, but sometimes I just couldn't do it. So it was really, um, it was a tough time. And, and, um, and I, I think Reese's love language is, is to cook. Mm-hmm. So he was so amazing at, you know, he'd come home and he would just cook me anything and everything that I, that I wanted. But there were definitely times when I felt emotionally and domestically unsupported. Yeah. Um, and that's not, you know, he's not a bad person, but I, I guess, you know, as a, as a man, he just didn't see, see those gaps that I maybe needed filling and I wasn't vocal enough about them, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I kept, I kept working, um, although it was, I couldn't be in a salon when anyone had a perm. The minute the perm solution came out, I I literally had to leave because it would just make me feel so violently ill. (laughs) Um, Couldn't stand this. How come you had her at 36 weeks? Was there... Was it naturally or did you just go into labour? No, she, she, I had preeclampsia. Ah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'd sort of had some high blood pressure a couple of weeks before that. Um, and, um, yeah, I just this one day I was baking Reese's dad a cake actually for his birthday and I just felt a bit off all day and I looked down and I couldn't see my ankles. Mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, where did they go? <laughs> Um, and I rang my obstetrician. I was like, look, I don't, you know, I don't feel sick, but I just don't feel quite right. And my legs are really swollen. And, and he was, he was so amazing. Like there was so, Florence was always fine, but there was just so much for me that was uncomfortable, painful. Um, you know, I had carpal tunnel. I was sick all the time. I was in and out of hospital. Um, I had, what else did I have? Oh, all, you know, all of the things that you can get when you're pregnant. I basically had some version of at some point. It was just, you know, comic of errors at, at some point. I was just like, seriously. Um, but he was like, look, just, you know, go up to the hospital, just get them to check your blood pressure. I'm sure everything's fine. So I rang Reese. He was like an hour away working, still fishing. I was like, look, don't rush. He came home. We went to his parents' house, had cake. <laughs> and then I think it was like eight o'clock. I was like, right, well, we probably should just duck up to the hospital now. And yeah, I walked in, they took my blood pressure. I thought everything was fine. There was another woman who also had high blood pressure next to me and she was allowed to go home. So I was like, all right, well, we're going to go home in a second. Then they're like, look, we think you've got, you know, your blood pressure is really high, like you need to stay overnight. I was like, okay. So got, went on to a ward, Reese left, it was like midnight. And then the doctor, um, the duty doctor came in and he's like, right, you need to have this baby right now. And I was like, what? <laughs> and um totally lost it i was like my husband's just gone home i can't have this baby now please um and i my negotiating skills came into play and (laughs) and he was like right we'll get you through the night but you have to have this baby in the morning and so i rang reese and he came back the next day and they induced they had to induce me um didn't have a choice whether i was 
allowed to have an epidural or not. They're like, you don't have a choice. You have to have it because um, the trauma of, of labor and how high your blood pressure is could mm. you could have a heart attack you could die mm. wow. um i was like right okay better have one of those then mm. <laughs> um and yeah like labor like the actual you know all of the stuff leading up to where you actually give birth was really long and arduous and being induced was um i don't know like i don't i've only had one child so i i guess my experience is is my own and i and I probably don't talk about it very often because I think it's sort of counterproductive to talk to people who haven't yet had a child about your birthing experience because mm. you have nothing to to kind of um, measure it by, you know. When and everyone is so different. I've had cesareans yeah. and I honestly, it was the best experience with both of my cesareans. But I know other yeah. people that, have, that, you know, haven't had that. I think everyone is just so different. So yeah. it's, and I know pre-children I was the one I was like I'm normally a detailed person but I was like I don't want to know I don't want to hear yes. anyone's birth story I I don't want to get that in my head because it yes. would play over in my head and then I'd just work myself up so yes yeah and you might like oh my god this is going to happen to me and it's like you know what it might actually not happen and I think your as I said your story is your story so for me it was kind of like I mean it wasn't the worst story I've ever heard but for me it was it was quite traumatic but yep. for someone else, it might be like, gee, that sounds like a breeze, mm, you yeah. know? So it's sort of like, it's, it's one of those funny things, like, do you share it or don't you share it? But in any case, um, yeah, so they induced me. That process was really um, unpleasant. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think a, a switch just flicks. And, and I'm, I don't know if you felt this, but the fear kind of is there, but it's, it's very numb fear. And you're just like, you know what? I'm a mum now. And I just, mm. this just has to happen. And I think yeah. you're all of that stuff, all of those natural instincts that you, that you kind of get when you become a mum, just kick in and you, you just get on with it. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, my actual active labor, like I only pushed, I think I only pushed for like an hour and she was out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they handed her to me and I remember looking at her and I, the first thing I said, there's something wrong. And the midwives were like, no, 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 she's fine. She's fine. And I was like, no, there's something wrong with her. And they took her away from like, they let me have a little cuddle and they took her away from me while this other midwife's, you know, standing by my shoulder, milking me like a cow. Mm-hmm. I don't tell you that, you know, <laughs> when you have a baby, but anyway, um, and they took her like over to the other side of the room and they, you know, put the little hat on and they do all the checks and whatever. And they're like, no, she's okay. And they gave her back to me. And I kept just saying, there's, so- this, there's something wrong with her. Like that it's not right. There's something wrong. And then the doctor came in and they, they, they checked her. And this was probably like probably an hour later because mum, I'd rung mum and mum was on her way to work. So Florence was born at one minute past five in the morning and mum came in on her way to work at like maybe 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And then the doctor came in and, and they checked her again and they're like, okay, so she can't, there is something wrong with her. She can't regulate her own body temperature. She's, um, she needs to go to, she was going to go there anyway, but she needs to go to um, special care. Mm was jaundice she couldn't regulate her own body temperature and her pretty sure her blood sugar was really low at that point so they off they took her um i couldn't see her for 24 hours because i'd had preeclampsia i had to be hooked up to this drip which was i don't know some obviously fancy or or like highly chemical 
chemical, I suppose. I don't know. But anyway, this, whatever was in this drip was attached to a lock on the wall. Mm, Okay. So I couldn't go anywhere. I had to stay in the delivery room and be hooked up to this thing to, um, I, I don't know. Later, I don't know basically is the answer to the question, but later on I found out that I was in quite a bit of danger of, of dying. And, um, whatever that thing was, was, was counteracting whatever was going on in my body. So that all happened. That was fine. Um, and then the next day, um, I was allowed to go and see her. Um, and yeah, so lots of other stuff happened in, in, in the process of that, but, um, yeah, so she was in special care for only seven days, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was probably because I was so determined to go home before Reese left. Um, so he was, the fishing season opened and he was leaving on the 15th of November to go fishing. And that, that first fish for the year is always the longest stint. So he could have potentially been away for four weeks. And I really, in my head, just had, like, I want to go home as a family. I felt like mm-hmm. that was really important to me. So I probably, um, she was okay and they were happy for her to go, but I did sort of have to do a little bit of convincing, I think, for them to be really certain that I would be okay. Um, so in the end, they were like, look, that's fine. Florence is okay. She's fine. If, if, you're, if you think you're going to be fine, then that's also okay. So off we went home um, before, and we were home for a night before Reese had to go the next day. Um, and yeah, and then it was just, I suppose, that process of recovering from birth and be, as we all do figure out, you know, what all the different cries mean and and Mm -hmm. how you kind of feed and, and all of those, those sorts of things from that point, I suppose. How did you go? Cause you would have had a lot of stints on your own with Reese away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I definitely didn't, I thought in my head I was going to be like that wonder mum that was just like so competent and had like it all under control. And I actually had a wedding booked in. Um, So Florence was due at the beginning. Yeah, the beginning of December was her due date, I think. I can't quite remember, but yeah, I think that's right. Um, And so I actually had a wedding booked in two weeks after I was due to give birth because I was so like, I'm going to be fine. Like it's, you know, I've only got to do five makeups. It's not that big a deal. (laughs) Um, So naive. (laughs) (laughs) So even though I delivered her early, um, like four weeks early or whatever, whatever it was. So even at six weeks, I still was in absolutely no place to be doing five people's makeup for a wedding. <laughs> and I just didn't, I really struggled is, is the, I suppose the answer. I really, initial phases of motherhood, I really, really struggled with. Um, yes, Reese was away. Mum took a little bit of time off to stay with me and, and help me, which was amazing. But then, of course, she had to go back to work. His parents worked. Um, all my friends worked. So I was kind of on my own for a lot of it. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get it. I didn't, I couldn't understand. So Florence couldn't feed very well. I had enough milk for like 50 babies. Mm. Um, and she was obviously prem. So she was four pound, four pound, 15 and a half ounces, I think when she was born. 
um, and she couldn't feed properly. She had an immature gut. So she literally cried from the minute she woke up to the minute she went to sleep. And when she was asleep, she'd sleep for maybe 40 minutes and then she'd be awake crying again. So she'd cry and then she'd, and she would feed. So she'd feed every 30 to 45 minutes. She'd cry. Then she'd sleep for maybe 45 minutes and then the cycle would continue. And I just, I just couldn't figure it out. I didn't, that whole thing that they teach you, like, I don't know if they still teach you that, but it's like feed, play, sleep, or, mm. or whatever that cycle is that they, they teach you. That was just absolutely not a thing in my house. I didn't understand how that worked because my baby didn't work that way. She hated being put down. So I had to literally hold her all the time. She wouldn't sleep on her own. So I was, I had this like fortress of safety built for her to sleep in my arm from a newborn. I, I pretty much slept sitting upright in the exact position for probably three months, the first three months. Yeah because she just wouldn't sleep. And I was so tired and on my own all the time. I just couldn't do the whole, you know, just rock them back to sleep in their bassinet until that. I just couldn't do it. Mm. Um, so it was, it was really hard. And we ended up in mother baby unit, which was, is like the most amazing place. If you were struggling with anything as a mum, the mother baby unit at St. Helens in Hobart was just so incredible for me. Mm. Um, so we both went there at like nine, nine weeks, I think. And I was a complete mess. I couldn't string two words together. I couldn't even tell you my own name. Reese had to literally write the form for me. Um, and they didn't fix her. There was nothing wrong with her. She was just prem and she just, she just had some, you know, some gut issues and, and whatever. Um, they didn't, they couldn't do anything for her. All they literally did was take her away from me once I'd fed her and, bounce her on a fit ball which was the only thing that seemed to stop her from screaming so often so um so i could sleep yeah so there was no miracle um you know fixed to her or, or anything like that um and like they tried putting her in another room in you know in a bassinet propped up didn't work like they just had to hold her literally um and it was just an opportunity for me to to get some rest. And they stretched her out. So obviously, you know, when, you, when you're tired and you're a new mum and your baby's, you know, screaming and you're at the one and a half hour mark, you're like, Jesus, like, what can I do to get this child to just calm down? And, and feeding is often your only option. So I was sort of making it worse by feeding her all the time because that was what I thought stopped the crying and, and, and made her feel better momentarily. Mm. so they were able to obviously independently take her away and they're not tired and it's not their child so although they care for them it's easier for them to listen to a child scream for three hours than it is for your, you to listen to your own child scream for three hours yeah so they stretched her out so when she went we went in there and she was feeding every 45 minutes and by the time we left which was three weeks later um they'd stretched her out to three hour feeds mm. fantastic which was yeah, so helpful for me. Um, and, and yeah, I was a, a kind of a better, more sane version, I suppose, of myself, less, less tired and a little bit more capable when we left there. Um, and, yeah, I guess then, then you just, you know, you're kind of back to square one and, and just figuring out how it all looks, I suppose. <laughs> how long did you stay in there for? 
uh, three weeks we were there. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, I guess, so you came home, settled a few of those sort of challenges out. What did you do? Um, what did you progress through doing work-wise after that? And did you use, you know, daycare, parent family support? Um, yeah. What did you do there? Yeah. So, um, work-wise, I still had, I was still juggling all of those balls. So I still had the salon. I still was a, you know, makeup artist. Um, I, so still doing that like on and off. Um, Reese would have Florence when he was home and I needed to work um, in when he wasn't home. Um, I just have the most amazing um, family friend in, in Marianne, you know, Marianne. Um, mm-hmm. And she was like such a lifeline for me and, and she would have Florence one day a week for me. I think probably from when Florence was quite young, like maybe six months old. And that was kind of my day to, go to the salon and do what I needed to do or, you know, if I was, if I had commercial work to do that I could do as a makeup artist on weekdays, that was kind of that, the day for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was an incredible support. Mum, mum would have Florence on weekends if I needed her to. Um, but it was, it was definitely a huge, um, a huge juggling act. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't cope. I really didn't cope very well at all is the truth of it. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose what I, I probably didn't mention is when I was, I think I was six months pregnant and a, a previous relationship came to light and ended up quite publicized in the media. And um, when I was with that person, I was really young and they were a lot older and so that was, I think, you know, that was also a contributing factor to quite um, a stressful pregnancy. And I think some of that stress definitely um, kind of was presented in, in physical form. And then when I had Florence, I think she was only, I can't remember how old she was, but she was only little. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe six months old around that mark. And that, um, that relationship all went to court and, um, you know, splashed all over the media and, and all sorts of quite unpleasant things. So that on top of a business, working as a makeup artist, my husband being away, um, you know, mum working, everyone else kind of working in terms of family support, I really just didn't, I didn't cope at all. I was kind of a mess, to be honest, and I really was just holding holding it together by the skin of my teeth, I think. And um, Did you have to go to court for that? No, I didn't, but I had to. Um, he pleaded guilty basically to um, pedophilia, I, I guess, in, in, in essence is, is the charge. Um, so because he pleaded guilty, um, I didn't have to go to court. Mm-hmm. But... I did have to give several statements. The first, the first one was when I was, as I said, six months pregnant, which was a three-hour statement in a, in a police room. Um, and I, I think the thing f- for me was that um, I went in there thinking that I was helping someone else. Mm. So 
you know, there was another girl that was involved as well. And she was, again, much, much younger than even what I was when, when this person and I were in a, in a relationship. And, and I thought I was kind of going into bat for, for someone and go, okay, like this is a pattern now and it's, it's not okay anymore. Um, and I guess as these things do, I suppose, but what happened was instead of me being kind of um, a support in, in validating information that I suppose she had given, the police thought, wow, this is a ripper story and, and this person's got way more evidence than the other one. So now you're going to be the focus of, of this whole court case and, and it's all going to be surrounded by you and then the other person is actually just going to be the support for you. So this whole thing kind of transpired whilst I was, you know, as I said, I was pregnant and, and it kind of messed, messed with my head a lot, but I tried to just... Um, I suppose remain level-headed about it, and what my what my opinions of that were, and 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 how I saw myself in in that situation. I tried to just, you know, remain pretty calm about it. But by the time it went to court, and then you know, very very intimate, personal details of our relationship, emotionally, sexually, all the rest of it were you know all over Facebook and all over the news and. And I mean, you know what it's like that, that, that community is quite um, small in, you know, which we were both part of. And, and so a lot of people put two and two together and knew who, like your name can't be listed, but um, people knew who, who it was. They, they knew that it was me. And so lots of people, you know, reached out, which was lovely, but, you know, then you also have that kind of shame around people knowing what went on behind closed doors and and that was really tough and wild yeah um and so I was faced at six months like with a six month old of of having to you know deal with all of that and then the court ordered that I I needed to go to counseling um which I was like righto I'll yep no worries let's let's get on with that and that was that's where a lot of stuff I think was unpacked from from life before Florence and it was honestly of all the things that I've gone through in my life it was the most horrible time of my life that I could possibly describe to you um because I went into I went into that police room with no feelings of victimization whatsoever. I didn't feel like I was a victim of anything. Like I was with that person for a long time and I felt loved and I felt cared for. And I'm, and this is, I'm not advocating that it's, it's right because it's not right. But at that time, that's what I felt. And I didn't, I didn't truly have any feeling that I was a victim. And I was sitting there with all of these people telling me, but you are a victim. You are, you are, you are. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, am I? But I don't feel like I am. But I don't, I don't, I don't feel hurt by this or, you know, all of these things. And so then when I got into these counselling sessions and all of that stuff was unpacked and I couldn't, I still at that point couldn't get my head around it. I still couldn't identify that I was a victim of something, of, of child abuse. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Um, and it got to the point where I, I was 
like manifesting him. Like I walk down the street and I'd see someone in a, a specific colored t-shirt or I'd hear the noise of a car or I would see someone with a similar haircut or face shape. And I would literally and physically see that person's face. And I just, I just kind of, I think I probably just had a breakdown. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't figure out what they were telling me. I couldn't understand it. I, you know, I was, I needed to be a mother. And so once again, I ran away from, from the counselling. I'd served my time and did what I had, like the, the mandatory amount of time that I had to do. And I stopped going because I just couldn't keep reliving it. I just, it was affecting me as a mother, as a person, as a wife. And, and I felt like I was at the point where I either needed, like, you're either going to have to admit me to hospital because I'm going crazy or I need to just stop this. And so I stopped and it wasn't the right thing to do. But I stopped um, and I, I think I needed that time to, to re, re-evaluate. Mm. And since then, um, so the, sorry, the point to this was is that, you know, I, I, went, I, went, I went through that at the, t- at the time I was, you know, trying to figure out how to be a mum. So mm. I, didn't, I didn't cope very well at all and I, I was really just trying to survive every day. Um, while you know while I had the salon and I and I had Florence and I was trying to be a wife and um you know all of these things and it just the the balls just had to drop at some point and and I think they probably dropped you know one dropped on a daily basis or two or five or ten I don't know however many balls were being juggled Mm. um but yeah they they definitely they definitely dropped um and I um yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have, I kind of closed off a bit. So I didn't really have a great deal of support and I probably didn't ask for it either. Um, so yeah, it was kind of Florence and I on our own for, for a really long time. And, and I think like anything, you're just in survival mode and you, you just try and, I don't know, you just try and make it work the best you can every day. You've got such a story. (laughs) Yeah, my goodness. Um, I don't really know what to say other than the fact that <laughs> what you've been through, um, you know, I think it's people can go down different paths and it's incredible that you've chosen determination and strength and, and really built an awesome life now and life for the future for yourself and for your family and you've remained very independent and focused and driven and all of that. Um, you know, when you, when you've faced a lot of, what's the word? It's like, it's shit. It's absolutely shit. What you've you've (laughs) faced There's no denying it. And obviously you know that, but like, I've got so much admiration and and respect for you and everything that you've done and are going to continue to do. It's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's so kind of you. I think you just get to a point in life, you know, where, and look, you know, I, it's all well and good for me to sit here now and, and, you know, relay the story of what it was. But at the time, you know, I, I was a total mess and I certainly didn't have, I didn't have strength and I thought that it was going to break me. And, and I, and truly, if it probably wasn't for Florence, it probably would have, mm. but I knew that I had a little person that I had to wake up for every day. Mm. Um, and I didn't have anybody else there. So, you know, you, you kind of, I, I don't know, I suppose you just, you just have to figure it out. Um, and I think you just get to a point where I got to a point where I was like, right, well, 
and it, it affected me for a really long time. Like it, it wasn't just, you know, a, a couple of months thing. It, it really took its toll on me over, a, over a long period of time. And I, I felt so much shame and guilt and so many mixed emotions, you know, around that whole situation and, and, and also the situation around being a mother. And I felt like I, I'd failed as a mum because I didn't, I didn't have it together and I, and I didn't probably take to motherhood as the way that I thought that I would. And I didn't, you know, Florence didn't sleep well and she cried all the time. And I, and I, I didn't ask people to help me because I felt like she would be a burden because she would be crying all the time or, you know, all of those things. And I had mastitis six times and I felt like I'd failed her there. So it was so many things where I just constantly daily felt like I was failing at life and motherhood and, and womanhood and, and, life mm. um but it just got to the point for me where I was like um I have a, you have a choice everyone has a choice every day we make hundreds of thousands of choices and I had a choice and I could either I could either stay in the past and stay in that mindset of of being a victim and being uh, not just of that's you know that that situation of that relationship that we talk about, but a victim of everything, you know, a victim of being in Launceston and that relationship, a victim of, you know, not having a great relationship with my dad, um, you know, a victim of, 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 of life, basically of my life that, that had transpired to that point. And I had the choice to either stay in the past and continue to feel anger and pain and resentment and jealousy and, um, and guilt and all of those things. Or I had the choice to, put my big girl pants on and stand up and, and face it and get on with it and, and make something of my life. And I realized that if I chose, if I chose the first option to stay in the past, that's where I'd always be. My memories and, and my perception and, and opinions of life would always be back there. And they would always have an aggressive undertone of, of, you know, of, of whatever the conversation was, was about and, and how I could, um, I suppose, bring my past into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't mm. want to, I didn't want to live like that. I, I knew that I was meant for more in this life and I knew that I was, you know, I wanted more and I, and I needed more and I, and I, it was my choice. No one could do it for me. It was my choice. And I, I just had to do it in, in spite of all of that, of the hard days and all of the days where you don't want to show up for yourself and all the days where you, you know, wish you could just stay in bed or you just want to cry. And and there were many of them, like, don't get me wrong. There were many of them, Mm. but every day I had to make the choice to be better today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And that's, that's what, that was the choice that I made. And I, and I, it's been a long journey, you know, to be able to sit here and talk about it. I mean, and it's still, it still makes me uncomfortable to talk about it, but I think it's important. I think it is important. And um, it's actually the first time that I've really ever, you know, outside of my family talked about that relationship. And, and it, I, I'm a true believer that the universe presents you with opportunities, you know, at the right time. And, and maybe this was, was the right time and it, and it felt right to maybe share that now. So hopefully that, that, that helps someone, but yeah, you, you have a choice. Yeah. Oh, that just made my heart like I don't even know explode. I'm sorry. It makes <laughs> me so privileged to to be able to provide a platform like this. Um there's a couple of other women that have had, you know, um big stories that they've yeah. sort of had and and not really 
known how to tell or where to tell yeah. or being presented yeah. with it. And it's something that it's, you know, I feel like it's potentially something that you can kind of feel comfortable to tell it because we record in this environment and it's just you and me and, um, you know, you can speak so freely and openly and honestly, um, but you also know that you're potentially helping other people that might be listening to. And I think for your situation, the key thing that I pull out of it is just, is just like admiration, respect and, and inspiration because you've just everything you said about not looking in the past and trying to look for the future. Obviously that your past is there and you recognize that, but that's not your focus. It's about what's happening yeah. and what's ahead. And, and at the end of the day as mums and as parents, we just want the best for our little people and your, that's yeah. obviously your focus and that's making you be a better person, parent, businesswoman, have a better life. So yeah, it's, it's just incredible. Thank you for your kind words. And, and, yeah, you know, you, you're right. You, I didn't want Florence, I didn't want Florence to grow up with a mum who, you know, daily was, was trying to, you know, battle with, with how I felt about situations that had happened in the past and they are still there and they are still real. And, and there are elements that I, of each of them that I have dealt with and there is still a long way to go with all of those things and, and how I feel about them and, and how I deal with them from here on in. And no doubt there are going to be times where they continue to, to come up. But it's not about avoidance and it's not about having rose-coloured glasses on that, you know, it didn't ha- those things didn't happen in my past, mm. but they are in my past and I don't want them to dictate my future and I just have learnt the skill that when they do rear their ugly head, you know, um, whenever that happens in life, that I acknowledge them and I, and I sit in that space of feeling uncomfortable or or not knowing. Um, and I'm such a black and white person, like, you know, everything happens for a reason and I am the way I am because of things that have happened to me and I have to understand them. Mm. And all of that stuff is very foreign to me because a lot of it, I, I still don't have a clear or definitive answer as, as to understanding it. So it's, it's kind of uncomfortable territory for me. So I sit in the uncomfortableness and I, I acknowledge that it's there and I acknowledge that it's making me feel a certain way. Um, but again, it, it is a choice to go, okay, yep, that's there, right, all right, you, you just sit on my shoulder for a bit, but I'm going to, you know, go and do this thing that I need to do or, you know, mm. focus on this thing because otherwise it just consumes you and that's what it was doing. It was consuming me as a person and as a mother and I didn't want that anymore. You made a choice. I made a choice. Mm. Yeah, I just made a choice and it was a hard choice. But I think the alternative to, to stay there and, and to keep trying to you know, go over and over and over and over and over and over things until I came to a firm answer was not helpful. And I don't know that it's a process, you know, you, you have to live life and, and, and I think wait, it's out, this probably sounds a bit backwards, but I think you have to live your life and wait for moments for those things to come up and, and kind of, and evoke an emotion for you to deal with it all. Yeah. You can't just sit in a space for six months of intensive therapy or, you know, or however long and go, okay, right now I'm good. And, and you might feel good. And, and that's, there still is absolutely, um, you know, merit in that. And it's so beneficial and you, you absolutely need to go through that process, but you also still have to make, there has to come a point where you make the choice to start living life and then start seeing how those things in your past, um, you know, kind of shape your your present and your future and you have to just learn to deal with them as they come up. And, and as I said, you know, all right, well, you're there and, and that's, that's okay. And that's triggered this or, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit weird about that today, but all right, let's just 
let's just sit there because it's not it's not going to change it it is that that is how what happened and that's how you're feeling and so let's make a choice to either figure out why you're feeling that way today or if you can't figure it out let's move on to something and come back to that when you can figure it out mm. oh my goodness i feel so inspired right now <laughs> oh thank you Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story. And I do legitimately hope that this has helped you in some way as well by putting it out there and, um, and sharing. And I think that you've just got, there's just so much in there that so many people listening will, you know, will really kind of pick a lot up from and, and help them. So it's, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening. This was episode 14. Um, and yeah, please like, comment, share, subscribe to everything you can. Um, would really appreciate it. We'll talk to you all in the next episode.